1: Gable, and you are listening to the Secret Teachings radio broadcast right here on The Fringe FM. The Fringe.FM is the network website, and our website is www.thesecretteachings.info.info. You can visit the website to check out our full show archive and our free show archive if you're not a subscriber. If you do subscribe, you get a free copy of one of my books. They're on the website. You can check them out again, thesecretteachings.info. And if you'd like to contact us, the email is rdgable at yahoo.com. That's r-d-g-a-b-l-e at yahoo.com. Or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings. I know some parts of the world and some parts of the United States in particular are experiencing a little bit of relief relating to COVID-19 and the global so-called pandemic. Other states are facing more oppressive means that seem to have no effect whatsoever in protecting people, except in the sense that it provides a perception of protection. In fact, I was reading about the, uh, the wearing of masks from the Mayo Clinic, and I've been keeping up on some of the medical and science literature on the subject, and the Mayo Clinic even said on their website, one of the reasons people should wear a mask is for the perception of safety. It actually says that on their website, and I went over to the British Medical Journal because I had pulled a report from there somewhat recently uh, from a couple of years ago, and this report from 2015 BMJ has this on their website right now, COVID-19, what is the evidence for cloth masks? And this is back in April of this year, 2020, and they talk about the 2015 study where they determined that, quote, cloth masks resulted in significantly higher rates of infection than medical masks and also performed worse than the control arm, and that they concluded that widespread usage of masks was not a protective measure or should not be a protective measure against COVID-19. There are lots of reasons for that, and a lot of people now are attempting to acquire medical exemptions to get out of wearing these masks, which is causing, of course, a major divide within businesses and within communities because people that wear the mask believe that they are going to get sick if they come into contact with someone who does not have a mask, it's very illogical and it's very difficult to have a conversation with these people. In my personal experience, a little anecdotal example, I've been having that problem outside of radio at another place of employment. I like the place of employment. I like anybody I work with. I've got no problems with them. But I've told them I'm not wearing a mask. I mentioned that on a show last week. It's caused a conflict. Uh, there are some legal ramifications that I'm unable to talk about at the moment. However, I basically went through this whole process with them about the mask and explaining that it's ineffective, that it's actually potentially dangerous, and the fact that, as most of you know, I have a little bit of a heart condition, which has gotten better with diet and lifestyle, but that heart condition and the breathing is worsened by restricted oxygen flow. And so rather than acknowledging my medical exemption with a legitimate medical note from a medical doctor, they changed their policy and said, now you need to wear a plastic face shield. So if anybody else is having this problem, I want to extend an offer that as I learn and go through this, just like I did when my son was born and there was the vitamin K shot and uh, opt-out forms for blood screenings that are then taken to the states, and biobanks that are sold to the US military and others. these are mainstream news articles, big class action lawsuits that you could look up mainstream news. Um, I learned as I went through that, I provided those forms to you. I know it's helped a lot of people. so if anybody has problems or questions about the mask situation, I'm happy to help you in that regard as I learn as well because this is an ongoing process. But based on the medical and the scientific literature, this is the information that we have available to us. So I wanted to explain that. That's the situation in terms of mask wearing. I know a lot of places, they don't have that problem, but that's what I'm personally going through. And it's a very, very similar situation to the subject of a vitamin K shot, which is not even a vaccine, and the idea that others could be you know, harmed because you haven't allowed a nurse or a doctor to violate your body, as soon, or your child's body as soon as they're born with um, substances that the Centers for Disease Control say actually kill babies. It's, it's on their website back in the early 1980s. I even showed that to the doctors. It didn't matter. But we're not talking about that tonight, maybe a little bit. I just had to uh, brief you on that subject coming into the show tonight after a long weekend. We've got a lot of great guests lined up this week. Tomorrow night, M. Don Shorn will be with us. I would say one of the original, but not the original, researchers and authors on the subject of ancient aliens. In my opinion, this guy is in league, if not in a different league, beyond Von Daniken and some of the others. He's written some fascinating books. We'll have David Icke, hopefully, on Wednesday. And Thursday, I might have a little bit of a surprise. We're going to see how that works out. I'm not exactly sure. I might have two guests. I might have no guests. We're working on that. It does have something to do with this Vice article. Some of you have seen this and sent it to me. This Vice article about UFO conspiracy theorists and ascension courses. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We might be discussing that Thursday. And then Friday will probably be a best of of one of the shows this week. And the next week I will be out of town. So we'll have some other best of shows. But I'll still be reachable on Facebook, email, and the website at thesecretteachings.info. So, tonight, we have a guest. We haven't had a lot of guests recently, but we have a guest tonight. Our guest tonight is someone who has been recommended to me here and there over the last two years. And I received uh, an email from a listener giving me this guest's contact information. Some of you might know who Greg Carlwood is. And so I contacted Greg, and I said, A lot of my listeners would like us to have a conversation. They think that we would have a good talk on air. So I said, all right, I uh, messaged Greg. We got in touch, and we set up the show for tonight. And without further ado, Greg Carlwood, host, producer of the Higher Side Chats. I've listened to the show before, Greg, and I have um, otherwise. I've seen the Higher Side Chats advertised places. I've seen... You mentioned in other places, and I see that as you have on your website, com on your About page, you kind of have a mixture of everything from Coast to Coast to Alex Jones to Red Ice Radio to Ground Zero, which is a personal favorite of mine. But that's mm-hmm. how I've always described my show. It's kind of like a hybrid of all those shows. So how are you, how are you doing? Welcome to The Secret Teachings.
3: Hey, man. Thanks for having me. And yes, that's how I used to describe the show because I've done it for like 10 years. And in the beginning, there were really only a couple outlets for this kind of stuff because there was podcasting, but it was mainly just comedians and stuff. I didn't have a lot of alternative podcasts to listen to. So I used to describe the show as a less Christian coast to coast hosted by a more mellow Alex Jones, because <laughs> that's what the two issues that I had with those shows is, well, coast to coast, of course, loaded with commercials. And as soon as a guest gets on to the the depth of their subject, it's time for a break. And then Alex Jones talks over everybody. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could hear from these authors and researchers for just two hours straight and not have it be about the host or about the advertising and just get to the meat of their work. And <laughs> that has paid off over time.
1: Yeah. That reminds me, I forgot to tell you, we need to take about 35 breaks this hour. <laughs> so we'll try to cram in what you can here.
3: <laughs> fair, fair.
1: Yeah. Well, tell tell me what, what got you into doing this? I mean, obviously that's kind of a motivation, but when did you decide to sit down and turn a microphone on?
3: Mm, well, I always wanted to do something in some form of entertainment, but I grew up in Arnold, Missouri, and there's not a ton of opportunity there.
1: And I was kind of
3: (laughs) pushed down the path of retail management. And I moved out to San Diego around 2010 because I just wanted to live somewhere else. And I was stuck in this retail gig and it it really was a Hail Mary to just try to do something. It had to be low cost cuz I was broke as shit. So I set this podcast up and and just started interviewing people. In the beginning it was a lot of comedians and I would try to talk to local comedians about c- conspiracy and paranormal topics and I just wasn't getting what I wanted. And then it really was Michael Tassarian who was the first real interview and I was like, "Oh, this feels more right. And so I did that and kept doing it. And then in 2014, I was able to quit that job and I've just been doing the show ever since. No bosses, no alarm clocks, just interviewing the people that I pick and I find interesting and presenting it to an audience.
1: That's a great feeling, isn't it? Just to be in control.
3: Amen. Amen. And I tried some pretty creative stuff in the beginning. I had something called the money bomb, which was I would take donations because there was no Patreon or anything. So we were still people were trying to figure out how to monetize podcasts and without advertising, it was very difficult, but I'd take donations and then I would, let's say I got $1,000 in a month, I would take half and then I'd gift half of that back to a random person who donated or is in the audience And that was so, so cool. A lot of people would leave voicemails after they won like, hey, this is going to allow my kid to play hockey this year. This is going to you know, allow my wife to get a more reliable car. Just really, I felt like it was very impactful and cool. And then I kind of had to stop it because I was advised that I probably shouldn't be running an illegal international raffle online Uh, (laughs) because that's kind of what it is. And uh, so we just went to, I I basically created uh, a Patreon-like portion of my website, and I just do the subscriber thing now. The first hour is free, second hour is eight bucks a month, and uh, it just allows the thing to keep going. And obviously now that's pretty common. I mean, it isn't uh, as rare as it was in 2010, and that's all good, but man, back then all this crazy stuff we're experiencing was a lot more hypothetical, but I feel like I was getting a decade's worth of a crash course in preparation for basically where we are now.
1: I've also, Greg, been on air for 10 years. I started 10 years ago in uh, Orlando, Florida at Rollins College. So we've been on air the same amount of time, 10 years, and I feel very similar to you. Then I was also 19 years old and I was you know, learning things here and there. But yeah, it's been over the last two or three years, it's been amplified and compounded. And now we're I feel as if I'm living an episode of my show every single day. It's almost like a twilight zone.
3: Yeah, I definitely can vibe with that. And that's awesome. You've been on for a decade. I heard you on another podcast recently, and I think we are pretty similar in that we stay open to alternatives. We don't really try to, uh, you know, commit to one particular alternative And I think that comes from hosting a show like we do, because we probably have guests of many different opinions. They're all alternative opinions to the mainstream. They're all picking apart certain narratives and the scams and schemes of the Rockefeller Rothschild debt-based system of rule. But not all of them have the same conclusions always. And like with this thing we're experiencing now, that's been, uh, I think, a godsend for me. I've interviewed people just as you have, like, uh, Don Lester and David Parker, who don't think germ theory and contagiousness theory is accurate. And that's definitely one of the more extreme opinions. And then you got other people like Del Bigtree, who I think is very convincing, who thinks that there is a virus out there, but that it's basically the young, healthy people's duty to get it and build herd immunity. But Of of all the perspectives I've heard, like the commonality is everybody's like, I'll never get a vaccine. That would be extremely dangerous. Um, There's a lot of games being played and the billionaire class is trying to make as much money as they can. They're basically ushering in an economic collapse. So I feel like a lot of the people that we both interview are on the same page in terms of this isn't right, but they all look at it differently and at different at different layers, and I think that's a good thing. I don't think we have to really peg ourselves to a conclusion, I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor, we're just trying to figure this out. We know that the authorities can't be trusted in this situation and that's probably something we should address next time before we're in a crisis situation that we have no confidence in our institutions, but what can we do? We have to stay open and we have to just try to uh, live our best life and be as honest as we can in a world of deception.
1: That's that's very well said. We also have to this is one of the things on my show Greg that I I try to hopefully motivate people to do and that is have the knowledge that you have the power as an individual to refuse to acquiesce to something that is considered mandatory in the case of let's let's say a vaccine. I told the story of when my son was born and they're trying to they're they're harassing us they tried harassment they tried threats they with cps they tried um intimidation i talked to maybe 15 nurses the head nurse doctors and then at the end of it all greg a nurse came in and she said sorry about that yeah there is an opt out form and it's huh. it's like well i mean i knew there was an opt out form and i had one but she showed me a secondary opt out form i had to have for blood screening so then i I shared that with listeners, and it helped a lot of people likewise opt out of that blood screening. See, we have the power as individuals to affect legitimate change, and it doesn't cost any money, maybe 10 cents to print out a piece of paper, as far as I'm concerned. That's a very empowering thing, and it's very necessary, especially at times like this when a lot of the collective mentality is centered specifically on being afraid and hoping that your actions, which are conformist, will make other people feel comfortable, which is not how, in my opinion, things should be, and that's not how I roll.
3: Mm, I agree. And the vaccine thing, it's like if a parent can read the warnings on the insert and actually read the full list of ingredients and I would say get a study that shows that all the different vaccines have been tested in combination, which you obviously can't get because that doesn't exist. But if you can do those first two things with confidence and let your kid get injected with something, you know, more power to you. But I think that 95% of people who are getting these vaccines for their kids aren't doing that. They're not reading the list of ingredients and they're not looking at the warnings. And when you look at the warnings on the insert, which, you know, warnings, it's like on any other pharmaceutical, there's a laundry list of side effects and potential things that can, can come up, and the doctor will say, oh, well, these are rare. Oh, okay. I didn't know rare was a, a scientific term. Like, where? what is exactly rare? And how do we know <laughs> yeah. which kids are, are getting damaged? And it, what do you know about my fucking three-month-old kid? Is my kid, uh, does he have the markers of, of these other kids who are getting damaged in these quote-unquote rare circumstances? They're injecting a lot of kids that they, they don't have any medical data on. So, like, it's just a roll of the dice. And if you are going to bring a life into this world, and as a parent, you're comfortable with that level of protection over you and yours, well, you know, you will get what is coming to you. And I don't think it's going to be good.
1: Well, let me, let me tell you this. I went to, for example, Greg, I went to the Centers for Disease Control website, and they have a section called What's in Vaccines, and it's been updated since I had the printout many years ago. And it lists, under the category called type of ingredient, a word says preservatives. And accompanied by that word, it says an example of a preservative. It's a little table. And the example of a preservative they give is thimerosal, which of course is mercury. But that's not what's significant. What's significant is to reassure safety in the minds of the public, if you actually go and read the literature, the CDC says thimerosal is only in multi-dose vials of a flu vaccine, and it's meant to prevent contamination. However, that is accompanied by an asterisk. If you follow the asterisk down to the bottom of the page, the only reason they say that mercury in those multiple doses is even kind of safe as a you know way to prevent contamination is because they say there's a difference between ethyl mercury and methyl mercury. So now it gets complicated. Now you sort of have to be a chemist To understand what's going on here, okay? And you continue to read, Greg, and you get down to the bottom further of the page, and it says thymorosal has a different form of mercury. Thymorosal in vaccines is ethylmercury. It's different than the kind that causes mercury poisoning, methylmercury. They say it's safer to use uh, ethylmercury because it doesn't process as quickly in the body. But quickly, is also not a scientific term, as far as I understand. Mercury is the most toxic metal, most toxic substance, at least one of the top five known to man. You shouldn't get it on your skin, and you shouldn't inhale the vapors of it. And yet, they're saying the only reason it's safe is because they use a different kind of mercury, and this one doesn't cause mercury poisoning. In other words, this poison is only a poison in a certain dosage. But if we inject it directly into the body, it won't be poisonous because this is a different kind of poison. It's completely asinine. And if you read the whole thing, it explains that. But no, they just rely on people's reliance on authority, the appeal to authority, the authorities wouldn't do anything to harm us. But when I'm telling you, Greg, when you start reading this stuff and you actually go to get to the bottom of it, you interview guests, it changes your worldview and your perception in a way that I understand it's terrifying to even have a conversation about this if you're not really well versed, because it's a whole nother world.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm very much with you on the vaccine issue. It was one of those things that I wanted to take very seriously, because if I'm going to be doing this show, I definitely don't lean too heavily into the sense of responsibility, because that's up to every individual. Like we can listen to ideas and some can be fringe and out there and not even right. And I don't feel a responsibility that if you decided to live your life differently because of one thing you heard, like that is your choice. But you got on the it. vaccine issue, that was the first thing where I was really like, you know, if you want to be one of the good guys, you better make sure you're right on this. If you're going to have these guests come on and talk about this, like it's, it's a serious thing. And uh, people are going to be making decisions based on these particular guests and their perspective. And so I took it pretty seriously. Like this isn't cryptids and aliens anymore. You know, this is a little more serious. So um, I did the necessary research to feel confident in presenting guests who have done even deeper research and they're against vaccination. So, I mean, it is what it is, but when you wake up to that and it's good that we did it when we were in, I would say peace times or, or less chaotic times, because that is a giant chunk that and the cancer industry, if you're wise to those two games played by big pharma, then this situation, like you kind of already have gone through Big Pharma Crimes and Corruptions 101. And now you're in uh, the more advanced class prepared to handle this (laughs) with a little more nuance. But it is scary because can a virus just come out and and create a pandemic? I I don't even know. I know there are guests like uh, Don and David who in their massive, massive book can take many of the pandemics of the past and they have an alternative explanation. And they're very interesting in a lot of cases. And. They make a lot of sense, too, but I I don't I just I just don't know if viruses are even like something I should be afraid of ever. Like, is this a never let a good crisis go to waste situation or what is it? It's very fishy. And I think the clue for me is that just like after 9-11, you see the Patriot Act. It's all ready to go. And all this uh, draconian legislation is just ready to be rolled out. It's not like they had to scramble very much to get all that. And. It's the same here. I feel like I see a lot of pre-preparation. Of course, we know about the Gates Foundation and Event 201 last year where they ran this simulation. Like, surprise, surprise, a drill simulation is run and then this kind of thing happens. Like, that is a red flag right out of the gate. But then all the maneuvering economically that's been going on, all the, you know, draconian 1984 type clampdowns on people, that seemed to happen really damn quickly. And uh, also, I feel like a lot of the food suppliers are doing some interesting gamesmanship that I think seems like preparation for this, like Amazon buying Whole Foods, for example, that seemed like getting their ducks in a row so they can control more of a food supply when farmers have to sacrifice all their crops, like all the independent organic farms, they can't even go to a farmer's market right now. but. Everybody's going to Amazon, to Walmart, and to Costco. Well, these three companies in particular have done a lot of work in the last five years trying to vertically integrate their entire food supply. They control it from the growing of it all the way to the selling of it. Amazon apparently is growing their, quote unquote, organic crops in warehouses in China and doing all the things they can to obviously, mass produce and do it within just the guidelines that allowed them to keep that word organic and then selling it within Whole Foods, which has cultivated a brand of high-end organic food. So it doesn't mean that, that still it's still there, but that brand makes people comfortable with this new frankenfood that Amazon's going to be bringing out. And it just seems like a lot of gamesmanship, like they were read in on this thing, maybe at the last Bilderberg meeting or something. But that's why I'm looking at this like maybe it isn't all organic and maybe maybe it's just a, a big operation. I have a hard time with these control freaks with thinking that they would release something or that they can't control. So maybe they didn't release anything at all. I don't know where you are on all that.
1: I'm I'm all over the place and like you <laughs> sa- like you said I don't really take a, a particular side but I mean, there are other ways to look at that as well is is that even if it is let's let's say it is a biological weapon in some by some sense of that word. Um, I too talked to Don and David about that. They said, well, a bioweapon they exist, but they're it's kind of a misnomer. So I guess if it is a biological weapon, uh, then my argument would be if I was going to have that point of view, is that a biological weapon doesn't necessarily need to kill a bunch of people. Maybe that's not the intention. Maybe the intention is to, quote-unquote, infect a lot of people or at least create the justification you know, with some form of evidence that people need to get vaccinated, and then that's a secondary component that then activates and makes the situation worse, whatever might be in the body. We don't know. But what, like you said earlier, what we can agree on, what a lot of our guests agree on, a lot of the people that we know and that we talk to, a lot of our audience, everybody seems to be coming together on one thing. I have a body. I'm in charge of that body, and you're not injecting me with anything. That's the bottom line. I think we can all kind of agree on that. Greg Carlwood from the Higher Side Chats right here on The Secret Teachings. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We'll have some shorter breaks because we have a guest tonight. Stay with us. The website www.thesecretteachings.info www.thesecretteachings.info Greg's website thehiresidechats.com The Fringe FM is our network and rdgable at yahoo.com is the email check out our website with my books, subscriptions to the archive it's all right there stay with us more after break
0: this is The Secret Teachings to contact the show To share information and your opinion or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesecretteachings or our website, thesecretteachings.info.
1: If you're looking for something to do while you're quarantined or locked down at home, check out www.thesecretteachings.info for our entire show archive. There you'll find every single broadcast after it airs, and you can download and stream every single one of those shows with great guests and timeless subjects. Right now, it's only $35 for a one-year subscription to the Archive and a free copy of one of my books with free shipping in the United States. It supports The Secret Teachings, The Fringe FM, and it supports you. You can also check out my three books independently, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and and The Technological Elixir. Read reviews and see the books at www.thesecretteachings.info Whether you subscribe, purchase a book, or you simply listen to the show five nights a week, it's a great way to stay informed and to be entertained. Again, that's www.thesecretteachings.info thesecretteachings.info or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings and shoot us an email at rdgable.com at yahoo.com
3: Alex X. Hi, I'm Alex Exxon and you're listening to KTLK
1: The Fringe FM.
0: The Secret Teachings T-shirts are now available through T Public and the show website at thesecretteachings.info. Whatever your color or size, check out the full selection on our website. Shirt designs include the Secret Teachings logo our Occult Arcana shirt, the infamous Moth and of course the Blue Chicken Avian shirts, among others like the Paranormal Desert Shirt. Check them out on T-Public by searching for the Secret Teachings or simply visit the SecretTeachings.info and select the merchandise option at the top of the page. If you're interested in all things that include the occult, from witchcraft to voodoo, Or if that's not enough and you want a practical look at food, lifestyles, and ingredients, even those in your pet food, with free solutions to better health, then check out Food Philosophy. All three of these books are available in soft cover or PDF at www.thesecretteachings.info That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. It not only supports the secret teachings and Fringe FM, but most importantly, it supports you. The truth is out there. There's something out here. And so are we. KTOK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
1: Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings radio broadcast right here on The Fringe FM, five nights a week, Monday through Friday, same time each night. The website, thesecretteachings.info. The email, rdgable at yahoo.com. Tonight we're speaking with Greg Harwood of The Higher Side Chats. Pretty sure most of you know The Higher Side Chats. Thehiresidechats.com. Tonight, we're just having a conversation. I think Greg and I have a lot in common. That's why some of our listeners suggested that we get together and have a conversation. Greg, you were saying before break, and this is something that I did not know, I've not heard this or read this, about Amazon growing crops in China in warehouses. Where did you hear that? Where did you read that? Tell us a little bit more about that.
3: Well, I saw a science article. I believe it was just science.com, but it came from... The, actually, a guest I'm going to be interviewing pretty soon on my show, he goes by the moniker Ice Age Farmer, and he basically just focuses on the food supply. And it's he's been doing this long before COVID started, but that work is obviously very important right now. But he was looking at farms that were being affected by climate change, you know, I don't think he's of the mainstream's opinion of climate change, but he more talks about like the grand solar minimum and that we will see changes in the environment that are natural and it's going to affect our food supply because our food supply is so um, consolidated amongst these corporations. And when things break down, a lot of people are going to suffer. And so I think his work is even more important in the wake of this crisis and That's the source that I heard from uh, when it comes to Amazon kind of reworking where Whole Foods will be getting their food, and it's going to be from these warehouses, apparently.
1: A A lot of the data, other than the medieval warm period that the IPCC just simply removed from the record, a lot of the data suggests that the Earth is actually cooling down and will be within some version of an ice age within the next 10 to 20 years Are you are you uh, of a particular opinion or what do you think about that?
3: I'm very much open to it. I mean, obviously, that's where Ice Age Farmer gets his name is he's like, we got to be prepared for this and everybody should shore up their game and produce their own food, which I agree with. And I hope is a silver lining to the situation is people realize that we have to have some independence from these systems that we trust. But it would make sense because a lot of the time the truth is an exact inversion of what we're told in the mainstream. So this narrative of global warming, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the exact opposite.
1: Well, have you read the paperwork on, there are some mainline news articles too, I mean, from CNN to uh, London Telegraph, where they're talking about sun dimming, aerosol spraying, and there have been a lot of scientific reports done where scientists are saying, okay, look, we are engineering the environment and we're doing that with certain metals. And what these metals are intended to do is reflect sunlight. But then they say the problem with that is if we implement these programs, it reflects sunlight temporarily, but it actually traps more heat. Therefore, it would create a situation where the planet warms even more. That's what the research says on the subject of geoengineering. In other words, Greg, it would imply that geoengineering programs are the responsible uh, elements in geoengineering, climate change, and global warming. So it's basically man made global warming through aerosol spraying. That's what it says in the scientific reports on the subject. So again, it is mm-hmm. an, an inversion of reality, and it's very misleading to suggest that it's basically you and I talking right now that's causing the problem, or, you know, <laughs> my son is the problem because he was born.
3: Right. And they also conflate on purpose the idea of not polluting the planet with global warming. And yes, yes, it's a, yes, it's all our fault, of course, even though it's these mega corporations that are the only ones that have the resources to do the kind of damage that would even affect the planet. Like individuals don't really have those resources and we're not all doing the same thing either. But of course, when it comes to the solution side, it's going to be something that restricts us or we pay a tax to be allowed to use the resources that we have piped into our house at exorbitant rates anyway but it's just austerity measures kind of stuff Yeah, you pay that to and the
1: world bank they want for the world bank wants four trillion dollars they said in carbon taxes
3: yeah. yeah i mean i i am not surprised it's kind of the same old game but should we stop polluting the planet absolutely yes sir uh, yes <laughs> and that's a different <laughs> argument and it really doesn't have anything to do with the changing climate but i i, I really get annoyed when they conflate those two because they say if you're a global warming or climate change denialist, then you must just be totally okay with the oil industry just destroying the planet. And that's not true at all. In fact, I would think that we care more.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? The Carbon Majors Report, I read this a couple of years ago, the Carbon Majors Report estimated that most greenhouse gases That are considered gases that are considered greenhouse gases that are considered pollutants. Carbon dioxide is not a pollutant, as far as I'm concerned. But carbon dioxide, they're saying, most of it is emitted by a very small number of companies, just a handful, under 100. They're responsible for most three quarters of greenhouse gas emissions. So, at the very least, let's say the official narrative is is true, you know, man-made climate change, global warming, then those. 100 companies should have to pay the price not the individual to a private world bank and that's the other thing i don't get like why am why am i paying an unelected banker money and i think that a banker is going to solve the perceived problem of climatic change that just doesn't seem right to me and and you know what you're also right greg the equating of climate change to pollution, that, that's something that is so overlooked, it's, it's really scary. It's no different than uh, you were talking to Don Lester and David Parker, the authors of What Really Makes You Ill, and they they make a similar case for viruses and chemical exposure that we're so focused on germs, but we don't take into consideration the constant chemical exposure from our home to work to where we play. Everything that we eat, we drink, and that we're exposed to, it's far worse than any kind of perceived effect that a germ might have. We are exposed to chemicals that are toxic every single second of every single day, from the clothes we wear to the shoes we put on to the technology that we use. But we're not concerned about that. We're concerned about a virus. We're not concerned about pollution. We're concerned about climate change. It just seems... Like these are just talking points that they're, it's like a faith-based belief system is what it is. It sounds like, Greg.
3: Right, right. And it shouldn't be a big surprise that we're in this situation when we allowed the corporations who are making chemical weapons to become food companies. Monsanto manufactured Agent Orange for the military in the 60s. Yep, That's messed up. They shouldn't be then allowed to do anything touching food. So I agree with you. And one of my favorite people who's pointing out this thing about, you know, viruses versus toxic exposure from corporate chemical processes is Dr. Thomas Cowan. He's really convincing. He is a follower of Rudolf Steiner. And Rudolf Steiner, he didn't think viruses were the cause of anything. He thought that they were excretions of a toxic cell. And as I've had more guests say this, and I've said it, even there's even uh, Dr. Andy Kaufman is out there talking about the exosome theory, which is uh, kind of related. And I have had people send me stuff that is like, hey, man, big fan of your show, but I am a PhD in this area, and coronavirus is not an exosome. You're wrong on this one. So I again, I don't know. My listeners are very kind to uh, talk to you and say that I should be on the show because I really am just regurgitating what... 10 years of guests say, because I I try to research things. But as you say, things are very complicated. One of the strategies to hide all the crimes and corruptions is to make things overly complicated, create a whole new set of language for just the specific niche area, like the stock market. No one knows how it works, but everybody puts their money in it and hopes that they get to retire (laughs) one day. It's like, Yeah. yeah, How funny how that works out. But Dr. Thomas Cowan has been talking about the fact that, yeah, a lot of the big things we have called pandemics or outbreaks in certain areas, it makes way more sense to look at corporate processes in that area and see if somebody dunk, dumped some chemicals there recently. Right. Waste because management. That's typically the cost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Hygienic practices. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the, the reality is vaccines or not, if you look at countries that have non communicable diseases, you know, your obesity and your diabetes and your heart disease and things like that. Those countries have, and if, and especially the the cases of third world countries, very uh, very unhygienic, unsanitary living conditions. You know, places like India, etc. in some parts. So those places have those kinds of non-communicable diseases. But those non-communicable diseases are also called diseases of affluence. And a disease of affluence is supposed to be a disease that's a result of an extravagant wealthy lifestyle. But we have those diseases in the United States too. And yet most of us in the United States do not live in those kinds of slums that we see these diseases that are still proliferating. And so if those diseases exist in wealthy nations as well as in unwealthy nations, then it has nothing to do with wealth and it has very little to do with sanitary conditions. And those particular cases of NCDs it would have to be environmental in the sense that it's a lifestyle decision or choice, alcohol, smoking, drugs, and most importantly, nutrition. On the subject of something like smallpox, it's well documented that, yeah, smallpox essentially doesn't exist in a wealthy nation today, but where it still does exist, because it's not a non-communicable disease, it's considered highly infectious, it exists, Greg, in countries that have unsanitary conditions, even with vaccinations, which seem to exacerbate the problem. So it's like it takes a little bit of philosophizing. Maybe it's a little bit of thinking. I always suggest we learn critical thinking skills. We just really think about something because if we don't think about it, we're just going to allow others to tell us what our perception should be. And if we learn how to critically think, then I don't care if it's a virus or it's Bigfoot we have the ability, a tool that allows us to make up our mind for ourselves, not based on emotion, but on, but based on reason. That's where I come from. I think that's critically important.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. And whether there is a virus out there or not, obviously the big debate is germ theory versus terrain theory. It could be a little bit of both, but what's inaccurate is to pretend that you don't have some control over how armored up your personal body is. And that's the flaw, I think, in what I see coming from the mainstream media. You got 24 hours a day of COVID coverage, and you can't fit any time in there to talk about vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just all the minerals, how to shore up your immune system. Why don't you talk to somebody about diet and nutrition for just one of those hours? And it's really messed up because, of course, heart disease, we all know, is the number one killer in this country, largely due to our fast food corporate diet. And nobody's gonna address that. Where was the WHO and the CDC when they were looking at that issue? Or what about uh, the oi- opioid crisis and how many people have died from pharmaceutical heroin? And where were they on that one? They're very content to just keep making money selling people stuff and just let a lot of people die but then all of a sudden on this one it's a complete flip and we're here for you, we got you, this is all for your safety. Like, I don't buy that. And and, and I would much rather hear people talk about, you know, the importance of structured water in your cells, good healthy water, That's, that's a big problem. Like most people can't even get healthy water. We all know what happened in Flint and it was because of lead pipes. But do you know that you probably have lead pipes? And the real reason it happened Is because they put an additive in water. I'm no scientist, but this sounds like backwards thinking. They put an additive in the water that keeps the water from stripping the lead off the pipes. It basically (laughs) coats the pipes on the inside. So you're putting something in the water to keep the lead from getting into it. Sounds like a mistake to me. But because they didn't put that chemical in there, then the lead got in the water and Flint just, you know, everybody got sick. There are ticking time bombs all over this country. And I've learned from people like Thomas Cowan or uh, Gerald Pollack, who wrote the book, The Fourth Phase of Water, just how important structured water is. It might be the most important thing that the water in your cells is highly structured and it's more like a gel form of water. That's why he calls it the fourth phase is because we well, scientists, not we, but scientists always study molecules like water molecules in isolation and they test things on them and this and that. But what he found is like, no, you need to look at the communicative properties of water. You need to look at what a group of water cells does because it changes everything. And when they're in our body, like, it seems to be one of the biggest factors of a healthy person. And of course, vitamin D can help build up what he called the exclusion zone or this gel-like part of the water. It's built up by sunlight. It is almost like a form of photosynthesis for mammals. And it makes sense to me, like, why wouldn't we evolve to use the same processes of our environment? And that would be the markers for health. So I, I, w- I really prefer to stick with nature over big pharma as much as I can. I'm a pretty healthy person. So I don't really, I have, I basically a luxury, you know, some people don't have that luxury. They're sick every day and they, have only one option because they're already screwed, but it sucks that we don't see at least some time spent on diet and the immune system. And I think that's for a reason. It's because all these corporations are making money on keeping us sick. Yeah. That's That's the sad state of the world. It's,
1: it's, it's not healthcare. It's health maintenance, maintaining illness. I mean, we have cultural things like when I was a kid, societal things, you get in the pool And uh, your mom, your grandma, grandpa tell you, don't touch the pool thermometer. Why? Because it has mercury in it. Mercury is very toxic. You go to any government website, even EPA, you go to the CDC, you go to, I think, even the American Cancer Institute. I mean, all of them say the same thing. Yeah, mercury is really toxic. And then it's like, well, but if we give it to you in a small dose and we inject it into your body... It's not as dangerous, and it's just so asinine. Lead, arsenic, mercury, aluminum that accumulates primarily in brain tissue in the body, that's been demonstrated and documented in study after study. And it's like we just ignore this because I think the problem is when you read a little bit of the history of, like, 1800s, 1900s, last last 200 years, I mean, it goes back way before that, but the kinds of things that they would do from bloodletting to using, you know, mercury as a as a, an ointment, which peeled the skin off, and then they diagnosed people with leprosy because of the mercury poisoning. Uh, it's not just because we're in the quote-unquote 21st century, and we're supposed to be flying around like the Jetsons, and we have voice assistants, and we have fancy Apple computers— that doesn't mean that our level of understanding and application in terms of science and medicine has advanced any more, at any point beyond what it was a hundred years ago. And in many ways, modern medicine today is simply another extension of the poor and dangerous practices that have occurred for the last two, three, four, five hundred years. The 21st century doesn't mean anything. It's a perception that we. Are safe today because we have the most updated information. But what's good? What good is the update, Greg, if we don't abide by what we know to be true or what we know to be toxic and poisonous? It's it's so asinine, so foolish.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Well said. And not to use the tired example of nine eleven too much, but when that happened, you know, a lot of people were freaking out, like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how could this be pulled off? There's too many people involved." Blah blah blah. And then I say, "Hey, hold on a second. I know this one just happened and, and you know we're in a panic situation, but if you look at the history of false flags and you put it into that context, it's not that weird that 9-11 happened the way it did. And I think that things in the medical space can be looked at in a similar way. The field of medicine is not that old, and when you look at some of the stuff you're talking about in the early days, like bloodletting, uh, you know, cutting off a leg because someone has a sore toe, Like it was pretty (laughs) draconian, pretty, pretty backwards. You know, it was pretty rudimentary and they did a lot of messed up stuff, especially when I've been reading these books about infectiousness and contagiousness, because that is a sticking point for me. I think we all can remember examples of contagiousness in our lives where we, a brother got sick and then we got sick and then it went around our house or our circle of friends. Like I've seen that happen. And So I push back on the fact that contagiousness isn't a thing because it just feels like I have examples of it. But when you read these books that are dismantling germ theory and they go over some of the cases where they've tried to prove contagiousness, it's often very gross stuff like taking a syringe of snot out of one infected person's nose and injecting it into a healthy person's nose or, uh, yeah, just weird things with saliva or put drop drops of one person's bodily fluids in another person's eye, like they would do everything they could to try to cross contaminate a sick person, a healthy person, and it didn't happen. So that's very weird. And I have to hold that in my head at the same time as feeling like I've seen examples of I got sick because my sick friend came over. And Maybe that's maybe there's an alternative explanation for that. Dr. Andy Kaufman brought up some interesting points that a lot of biological functions are contagious. Yawning is contagious. You see someone yawn, that's right, you yeah. will yawn. So is it possible that you see someone coughing and showing flu-like symptoms and your body has a reaction? It is possible. The explanation for that would be that the person A is, their body is trying to communicate to the outside world, hey, we engaged with a toxin. There's a toxin over here. And so then your body sees that and starts putting out that same signal to other people that could recognize it, saying, hey, there's a toxin. Maybe so, as, a,
1: as a warning, is that what?
3: Yeah, yeah, That's that's one of the alternative theories that what we interpret as contagiousness, as a virus that went from person A to B, it could be that person A was poisoned by something in their environment, And so their body's trying to, you know, you got mucus coming out of your nose, you're throwing up, It's you're sweating, it's because your body's trying to push this stuff out. And that might be something that is a biological function that is quote unquote contagious, just as a warning signal. And I thought that was interesting. Again, not a doctor, but we don't ever hear about any alternatives. And some of them do make quite a bit of sense. And they do have, there's a long history of people questioning the virus theory and going with terrain theory, and there's just a lot more people questioning that than you would realize if you've never looked into it. And that alone is interesting.
1: Have you ever uh, talked to Dr. Nancy Appleton?
3: No, but I have heard the name, probably referenced in some books that I have been reading. But tell me about her.
1: Yeah, well, she she's a very interesting lady. I, I'm I'm hoping that she's still alive, but she was very elderly and uh, i think she really pioneered a lot of 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 public um acknowledgement of the dangers of sugar that was kind of her thing she wrote mm-hmm. a book called uh well she wrote a book called stopping inflammation and another one called killer colas and another one called suicide by sugar and, she, and she just wrote it really simply you know for anybody to understand and it just documents the the poisons of uh sugar processed sugars artificial uh, synthetic and also natural sugars. But she talked a lot about in one of her books, the last time I had had her on a couple of years ago, she said, have you ever heard of Louis Pasteur? And I said, yeah, the, the germ theory guy, right? And she right. said, yeah. So she she sent it to me, the book. It's called The Curse of Louis Pasteur. She had this book she wrote. And it's very similar. I think Don and David reference her in their book, What Really Makes You Ill. But in that book, she talks about another individual his name uh, his last name i believe his last name is uh, becamp i think it's i want to say something becamp but anyway she explains how this guy was doing research at the exact same time as pasteur was and that they had similar ideas about germs and disease except becamp i'm going to get the name after after break here but i think she said something about this becamp guy what he suggested was that yeah, we can get sick from certain things, but those toxins are causing bodily reactions, and those bodily reactions we interpret as, you know, as as a sy- symptom complex, as a sickness, as a result of some external component. But he said it wasn't a germ. He said inside the cells you have things called he called the microzymas, and he said that these things change, like the the pleomorphic nature of bacteria, it changes based on its environment and so that's what leads to the perception that there are certain microorganisms that cause disease but it's simply the body's reaction to something externally and 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 i know that you've you've explained that and other people have explained that too the point is though that research was being conducted at the exact same time as louis pasteur was developing his theories which were also from from hundreds of years prior to his his time they they were much older 1600s and yet one idea became solidified dogma and the other one has been confined to a few history books and a few medical books. And it's really no different than the, than the infamous battle between Nikola Tesla and uh, yes. Edison. One yeah. becomes remembered and, and implemented in dogma and the other one is forgotten and you don't learn about it unless you watch a documentary or you read a book. It's the same exact thing.
3: Right. That was the example I was going to throw out there as a parallel is ACDC and Tesla and Edison or even Einstein and removing the ether from physics. Because I think there's a lot to be said about the technologies that they want to suppress actually being unlocked by ether physics and looking at the world the way a Tesla was looking at it or, you know, other people, if you go to these alternative conference scenes today where they are doing like Tesla technology engines and stuff like that, they're trying to pull energy from the vacuum of space and apparently they're having some results. And uh, the vacuum of space is just another term for ether. They wanted to tell us there's nothing there, but clearly there's a medium because light travels through it, comets travel through it. It's a vacuum is not exactly right. But if you want to hide a potential energy source that's limitless and right out there to be tapped, you would have to contrive a bubble around physics that quarantines out the the things that lead you to electrogravitic crafts or ether-based energy systems. So I feel like, yeah, you could look at a lot of different sectors and see that there was a competition for trying to have the dominant paradigm. And in all three of those cases, electricity, physics, and health, we got screwed. And the people who won are the people who have the wrong answers that corporations make billions of dollars on ever since they've been established.
1: And it's no different than the American Dental Association. I was reading about that, too, and the, the they used to use hot lead they replaced hot lead with mercury which they know now vapors in the mouth and it's very toxic of course to the body and it's right by the brain when they put those dental fillings in but that the American Dental Association is not a result of a group of uh, well qualified dentists getting together and 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 organizing it's a result of lay dentists people that didn't even necessarily have uh, any kind of degree let's say no no expertise they were just commoners they were metal uh, smiths people that worked on people uh, in the 1800s i think was mostly the time frame and they got together they had kind of um, kind of a unionized uh, situation and they developed the ada and and the real dentists were strictly opposed to using those kinds of metals because they knew they were toxic and they have been drowned out by the american dental association to this day it's just if yeah. you, if you learn about history greg It opens up the present, and it allows us, as I always say this, Clyde Lewis always says this too, you use history as an oracle to understand what's going to happen in the future by filtering it through the present. And I think that is so profound because it really allows us to have a clearer picture of what's going on on any particular subject, and it opens the world up to other possibilities and help. And that's really, the ironic thing is, that's what science is. They use that word. That's what science is really supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about a faith-based dogma. That's religion. And if science is religion, then it's not about analysis and observation. It's about cramming a belief system down your throat so that you agree with the consensus. I always say, you know what? Nine out of ten dentists agree. I want to talk to the one guy who disagrees if he's alive. I want to see Mm -hmm. what that one guy has to say. But we're not allowed... (laughs) to talk to that one guy, not a lot to talk to right. that guy.
3: And you made a great point about the Dentist Association. I've been meaning to dig in more to that because I hear peripherally uh, all this stuff about how uh, that whole industry is a sham and it's like on my list to get to. But I did interview a guy named Daniel Emerwar, who was a professor. So he was a little, he's a young professor, a uh, college professor, and he was, he's, he's a little Uh, conspiracy light, let's say, but he wrote a book called How to Hide an Empire. And it's about all the parts of the United States that aren't just the 50 states, you know, all the territories that the U.S. has owned over time and how they've used them, like calling them sacrifice zones, because if they they were to be attacked, it would probably be in an area like Puerto Rico or somewhere off the mainland like Hawaii was. And uh, you can then, you know, I guess, defend your country by letting these people die. And there's a lot of examples in the book that are interesting, but in the medical space, I'm not going to remember the, the doctor's name, but he was either down in the Philippines when it was a U.S. territory or Puerto Rico, but he was using the indigenous people of the captured territories on the periphery of the United States for testing out a lot of medical stuff and vaccines and birth control. And a lot of women were dying, developing cancer and cysts. And some of his uh, correspondence got out, some letters that he wrote got out where he was talking like very eugenics-like, very much like, oh, who cares about these people? It's good that we have some uh, you know, dirty poor people to test on before we give it to our citizens and that stuff got out and the reason why this came to mind is because this doctor ended up being one of the founders of sloan kettering and he developed uh, radiation treatments like chemotherapy treatments and then that became what we do and it's just another case of like a real dark psychopathic person being propped up by the system as a medical hero for all the dark shit they did and then their practices become the standard And now chemotherapy is basically the only way the mainstream system treats cancer. And it's like, what? Look at this history. It's insane. This is not a person you could trust.
1: It's almost like these people are psychopaths in these key positions. And the psychopaths, the serial killer, ultimately the psychology is that they want to be caught. And if they can make it so easy, if it is so easy... For people like yourself, Greg, and for people like me, at least I can say this about myself, to find this stuff out, to read about this, to learn about it, then, again, it's almost like it's not being hidden. It's obscured. You have to kind of work for it, but you can figure it out, and you can expose what they're doing and help people, and I think it's the reason that Bill Gates, that criminal psycho, just sits there and smiles about things because he knows what he's doing and he knows that a lot of people know what he's doing and I think a lot of these people get off on it they get off on hurting others and they get off on creating these uh, faith-based dogmatic belief systems so they can uh, oppress other people so they can get other people to participate in uh, whatever they've designed I mean it is just it's really unfathomable Greg Carlwood mm-hmm. from the higher side Chats with us receiving the higher side chats that is the website right the higher side chats com. correct all right, thehighersidechats.com. We'll be back with more from Greg Carlwood. Maybe we can talk a little bit more or a little bit about the esoteric, about the paranormal, about UFOs. There's a lot of that we could talk about in the second hour. Stay with us. Another short break. Don't go anywhere. Right here on The Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. If you're looking for something to do while you're quarantined or locked down at home, check out www.thesecretteachings.info for our entire show archive. There you'll find every single broadcast after it airs, and you can download and stream every single one of those shows with great guests and timeless subjects. Right now it's only $35 for a one-year subscription to the archive and a free copy of one of my books with free shipping in the United States. It supports The Secret Teachings, The Fringe FM, and it supports you. You can also check out my three books independently, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, and The Technological Elixir. Read reviews and see the books at www.thesecretteachings.info. Whether you subscribe, purchase a book, or you simply listen to the show five nights a week, it's a great way to stay informed and to be entertained. Again, that's www.thesecretteachings.info thesecretteachings.info or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thesecretteachings and shoot us an email at rdgable at yahoo.com This
0: is Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange and you're listening to The
1: Fringe FM This is Ryan Gable of The Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast, where we expose frauds, say the uncomfortable, and discover patterns. And you're listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
2: Join me on a journey where getting lost is the only true destination where the past, present, and future all co- coexist on the same timeline. i reminder that the future is not some distant glimmer, but a bright light shining in your eyes. This is the future we are in right now, where our phones are the first things that we touch when we wake up, the last thing we touch before falling asleep. Radiant, seductive screens we so lovingly endlessly gaze upon. Much like you're doing right now. Welcome. To a future where our true reflection is only revealed once the screen goes. Dark. Welcome. Welcome to the darkness. I hope you find it enlightening.
0: it's great to know that there are some young people in america who do have a good mind and are actually seeing what's going on and doing something about it and that's why i uh, be delighted to come on your show anytime you call me and i'll be there hello folks this is jordan maxwell my website is jordanmaxwellshow.com and you're listening to the secret teachings excellent shows keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Well, this is David Parker, one of the authors of What Really Makes You Ill, Why Everything You Think You Knew About Disease is Wrong. I'm Dawn Lester, co-author of What Really Makes You Ill, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be here.
1: Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe FM. The Fringe.FM is the network website. You can catch The Secret Teachings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at the same time each night. Or you can visit our website, subscribe to our archive. A lot of shows are free. Great guests and timeless subjects. www.thesecretteachings.info. You get a free book when you do subscribe to the archive. It's only $35 for a one year subscription, unlimited downloads, and streams of every show. And again, that free book, you can choose the Technological Elixir, Food Philosophy, which I have in the process of being updated. We are taking orders for that. We've already got a couple of them. And my masterpiece, Occult Arcana. It's all on the website. You can find the books separately. And I always forget to mention this. We got some new promos cut. My uh, good friend and co-host Jack was nice enough to set up some promos for us for the t-shirts. We do have t-shirts, lots of different t-shirts on the website. You can check those out from the Moth Moth Mam t-shirt to the Paranormal Desert t-shirt to the show logo. To uh, We have a lot of different t-shirts. Uh, we also have the Blue Rooster Avian t-shirt as well all those on the website some of those are kind of inside jokes but people have been buying them we don't really make any money but 2 bucks a dollar 50 something like that it's just it's just a shirt it's good to have merchandise and the the key is here it makes us look better it makes us look better all right and i have a bunch of these t-shirts too it's really cool www.thesecretteachings.info, for you can just search the show name on T public and they do a lot of sales anyway you can get a t-shirt for like 12 dollars or something again we make like 2 bucks but if you like the t-shirts, check them out. The email, rdgable at yahoo.com, rdgable at yahoo.com. Greg Carwood with us this evening from the Higher Side Chats, the thehiresidechats.com. Tonight, we are just having a generalized conversation with Greg. I remember one time, Jim Mars, I was talking to him, and he said, you're kind of like me. You're kind of a generalist because we know a lot about a lot. And tonight, I think we've spoken a lot about a lot, but there are a lot of other things that we could talk about that are not so three-dimensional or based in the five senses, Greg. I'm reading on your website that the Higher Side Chats are dedicated to exploring a wide range of unconventional, suppressed, and esoteric topics, and I I was talking to Clyde Lewis the other night, too, and he said, you know, a lot of people just are not interested right now in hearing about the paranormal or things pertaining to the esoteric and the occult. And I think that we should talk about that a little bit. Tell me your opinion, your view. What is the esoteric and what exactly was the first field of study or interest that you got into with the higher side chats? Was it the paranormal? Was it the occult? Was it magic? Was it politics? What exactly was it? And what's your opinion on the esoteric?
3: Well, I kind of think of the esoteric as anything that's slightly hidden, but also kind of outside of the materialist paradigm, of course. I mean, broadly speaking, if we're going to try to find some kind of box that we can put paranormal and magic in, I mean, I think that would be it. And when I was a young kid, I had a, a strange cryptid sighting that was just very brief but it was enough to be like what the hell was that and to think about that for many years but then growing up in Missouri and I was definitely a contrarian religion was just jammed down my throat mainly through school and just general community my parents weren't really doing it but it was just everywhere else it was just non-stop jammed down your throat so I went the other way because I, I really do feel like in the 90s, especially when you're looking at books like Richard Dawkins uh, book and uh, Christopher Hitchens, like it was presented that if you were a material atheist, that's the smart opinion, you know, and also being a rebel in a private Catholic school, carrying around a book that says God is not real. It was just like poking the bear. I just liked to do that. But I was a material atheist for a long time. And a lot of people have this. This uh, default position that like, if you can't see it, it isn't real. And God and the spirit world, none of that stuff's real. And and you have to be stupid and superstitious to believe in that stuff. And then I did Salvia divinorum one afternoon and I was transported to another place, had contact with non-human entities. And I that day I was like, OK, maybe you should step back from this material atheist stuff because maybe there's more out there than you can sense. And it's a real, it's a simple philosophy, material atheism. It's just like I get to discard anything that is outside of the box or doesn't make sense. And I think that's wrong. And we should engage with the world in a way that pushes the boundaries. And then you start to see that there's a lot of of stuff beyond that paradigm. And now I'm pretty convinced the spirit world is very real. There are effects of the mind like intention and... You know, obviously, telephone telepathy has been a phenomenon, remote viewing, astral projection. I think those definitely fall into the category of esoteric. And another big third rail was watching the elite and being a guy who is uh, very into conspiracy. Obviously, it pushes up against the esoteric quite a bit. And you're like, what is with all these symbols? What is with all these rituals and secret societies and these secret fraternal brotherhoods? What is the deal with the images that are projected through marketing, subliminal uh, marketing and that kind of stuff. It obviously has an effect. And maybe some of the elites power can be attributed to these strange beliefs that they aren't telling us about. And you look at the layout of Washington, D.C., and that's very esoteric and clearly very intentional. And that's amassed quite a bit of a, a of a power center, you know. So I started looking at things a lot differently on a personal level after that Salvia experience. But through research, you don't have to go very far down the conspiracy road before you're hitting a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense. And then you're like, well, maybe the elite have a worldview that's just way different than Catholicism or atheism. And there just isn't a name for it because we aren't taught exactly what they're taught in their secret back rooms and Masonic basements. So I'm definitely interested in the esoteric in and, and a whole range of ways on how a person can implement it into their own life with certain side effects and meditation and where that can take you. And then also just looking at it as a tool that's often used against us.
1: What exactly did you see as a cryptid? Do you have any <laughs> idea?
3: Well, it is, it is hard to, to put into a box because it doesn't necessarily match anything that I've interviewed guests about or read about. It wasn't a wolf man or a moth man or a Bigfoot or a lizard man. It was basically when I was in kindergarten, my parents had just had a house built in a new subdivision. So we're in this subdivision that's only half developed. So there's still a lot of wilderness around. And we were walking the neighborhood at a particular cul-de-sac. And I looked down into this ravine and I saw this humanoid, uh, thing it w- it was kind of hunched over on f- all fours and as soon as i saw it it turned and made direct eye contact with me and i yelled to my parents i said hey you have to see this uh, you know i'm a kindergartner i'm like there's a weird bear thing that's how i described it cuz i guess i'd seen bears on two feet before i'd seen them rise up and i saw this thing sort of rise up and it had the general outline form of a bear and my parents knowing there's no bears in Missouri were just like, you know, what are you talking about, kid? They thought I was pranking them, you know, my parents pranked me and 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 then I started to get really upset and I was like, uh, oh, it's a weird uh rhino thing. And now that doesn't make any sense, but I was focusing on the detail of its skin. It had more of a gray, dry, elephant or rhinoceros type of skin rather than the fur of a bear. So I'm searching for examples of what this could be based on, which detail I'm like trying to focus on. Uh, was it a shapeshifter? Potentially. I don't know. I think sometimes when we encounter things like this, our brain does do some filtering to try to identify it. And so I don't even know how much you can really trust what you're seeing in some of these instances. But long story short, This whole experience was like 30 seconds of me trying to get my parents over there. And by the time they finally realized how upset I was, it took like five big steps and just vanished. And I was crying, a sobbing mess, mainly because I was so upset that I was the only person who saw this. It would have made my life much easier at that time if I could have just looked to my parents and said, you saw that weird thing, too, right? Sure, we'll go to our graves with this, but I'm not crazy. Um, But I made my parents go door to door to a few houses in that cul-de-sac. And I was like, have you ever seen a a weird thing out in your woods? And they're just like, (laughs) no, kid, I don't know what you're talking about. But that was what I saw. And I guess if it had to fit any description that I've heard, Skinwalker, you know, I've heard a lot of guests talk about Hmm. the Skinwalker tradition and that it is kind of a animal human hybrid thing, that it definitely is a but kind of a, a dark shamanic tradition and as far out as it seems that a person could develop uh, the ability to shapeshift into animal form or an animal hybrid form, looking back at that time, I can't think of any other context that is a better match. And uh, it is what it is.
1: Did you remember, uh, do you remember that story of, I think it was back in 2019, over a year ago, of Casey Hathaway in North Carolina, this kid that went missing? Do you remember that story?
3: Uh, no, unless it's one of uh, David Politis' stories. Sometimes I forget the names of the people that he, he gets into, but I don't remember this in particular.
1: It, it wasn't one of his stories, but it had a feeling to that. This kid was playing in the. I'm bringing this up because of what you just said about describing this thing as a bear. Uh, this kid was playing in the backyard, as the story goes. I think it was with his grandma, but I can't remember exactly. So he's in the backyard playing, and there were some other kids back there the story goes and there was a fence and then the kid just vanishes, disappears. They had no clue what happened to him. You know, it's not like some giant bird came down and scooped him up from a Linda Godfrey book or something. Uh, (laughs) He just, he just vanished. So they go out looking for this kid and it is very much like a, uh, a a story that you'd see in a documentary or reading one of David's books and they find him uh, with, it was freezing temperatures, freezing rain, uh, exposed elements of exposure that would have made any adult very sick if if they may, you know, they would have survived at all. He was gone for a couple of days, I, I think three days or so. They found him on the third day or the fourth day, and they found him not too far from the property after they had, you know, gone through all the backwoods, and they found him within some water tangled up in vines. And uh, I did a show, because I talk about this as an area of specialty in terms of pop conspiracy mixed with occultism and magic and sigils, I did a show where I was talking about Netflix and Stranger Things and its relationship to things like The Slender Man and The Tentacles and The Vines of the Trees. And so this kid was found in these vines, and when he comes back, he said the first thing he wanted to do was watch Netflix. And uh, so that was kind of how I formulated a show around it based on that. But when the kid came back and they asked him what happened, how did you you know, basically, I don't know, it's a three, he's a three-year-old kid, so I don't know how they asked him, how did you survive? Like, I don't know if he comprehends that. But they said, you know, what happened? Where were you? And he said that I was, you know, a bear took care of me in the woods. I was watched mm-hmm. over by a bear. And I doubt that he meant that in a spiritual way. It's not like a guardian angel. Like, he described, like, this bear, you know, watched over me and took care of me while I was out in the woods. So it just kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of what you said and uh I I don't know. Maybe the kids can see something that you can't see after a certain age, or with certain forms of conditioning, it locks your mind. Literally, it programs you to not being able not being able to see, or um, you know, even consider the possibility of something outside of our our perception of reality from even existing. But there's there's that, and then I don't want to rant too much here, Greg. But when I was a kid. I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of stuff on television and movies because, you know, one, I got scared really easily. But two, my mom was very Baptist Christian and she was afraid it was going to invite the devil in, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I'm just I'm I'm just um, I'm able to vividly remember stuff that I, I've seen without watching the movies that I would see in the middle of the night in my room or my bed was was moved in a way where I could see down the hallway I would see very disturbing, creepy, spindly, slender man-like things come down the hallway to- towards my room. Long fingernails, long fingers. Sometimes they didn't have a face. Uh, and one, the, the most memorable story I, I wanted to share very quickly with you is when I went to, my great-grandma had a house in West Virginia. That's where a lot of my family lives. And we, we would go up there to West Virginia, a town called Teralda. And uh, I was on the second floor of the house. I remember I slept in the same room with my sister when we went on vacation, separate beds. And I saw something. I had always felt something weird in that room. And I would tell my mom, and she really she kind of pushed it off, probably because she didn't believe it mixed with, she didn't want me to be afraid. And so I told this, this story to my mom when I woke up one morning that the night before, I had seen something standing in the corner of the room. Very tall. Black suit, black hat, black face, just a shadowy figure. And, Greg, I had no clue about any of this stuff. All I knew was I liked to play basketball and video games, and that was my middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell my mom this, and my grandma, who's sitting there, that was her room when she was a kid, she sa- I start to explain it, and she stopped me. My mom said, yeah, don't, don't don't, talk about it. You know, it's, it's just your imagination. My, my grandma said, no, let him explain. And, and I start to explain, and my grandma stops me, and she says, I'm going to explain the rest of it to you. And she tells me exactly what it looked like. She said, I bet it had this, 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 and this, these features and characteristics. And I said, yeah. And my mom's like, ah, you're feeding into it, telling her mom that. And I said, no, mom, that's exactly what I saw. And so that stuck with me. And then years later, I'm reading a Nick Redfern book, and he's got dozens of stories of people seeing the same thing. And then I learned, you know, like 10 years ago, oh, there's a name for that. Hat Man, Smiling Man, Men in Black, whatever name you want to give to it. People have seen this all over the world, cult, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ages. I'm not crazy. Other people are seeing the exact same thing. And then that kind of validates that you're not crazy and there is something more then it doesn't have to be evil. There's just something more than what we perceive to be three-dimensional five-sense reality. Hmm.
3: I agree. And being a person who's always been kind of extroverted and open to talking about weird stuff, it's just kind of like, even before the show, it was kind of in my personality. I looked like someone that you could tell about your UFO experience, I guess. <laughs> but a lot of people did tell me strange stuff that's happened to them, like, I've basically mentioned the two weird things that happened to me, the weird cryptid and the salvia experience. But like, to me, it's not enough. I I hear some amazing stories from guests and I wish, God, man, it would be awesome if, uh, if I had experiences like that. But all I can do is take what I hear. And when it comes to friends I've made, electricians that have come to my place and seen like, what's the higher side chats? And I tell them and they're like, oh, man, you know, my uncle was in the military. And let me tell you this. Like, everyone has a story, either them personally or someone in their immediate family who was a pilot or something. And they saw lights in the sky or they encountered a being at night. And I even have one friend who uh, he's a quiet guy. He's very stoic, uh, cool dude. But I would... Uh, he's we share a lot in common in nerd culture and so when these sci-fi movies would come out i'd always be like hey dude you want to go see this and he would say no and then one night his wife was like hey do you ever notice how when you ask him to go see a movie about aliens he always says no and i was like well i didn't notice exactly but i guess now that we're going back over it yeah uh, i do notice that he'll go and see superhero movies with me but why can't we go see men in black 3 and uh she's like, he's had experiences, multiple, multiple experiences, visitations in the night. I'm like, wow, uh, didn't, that's interesting. So it can be all around you and you not know, even at my wedding, I had two friends from completely different circles who did not know each other. We're all drinking. Um, one of them got to talking and starts talking about how at night he has these sleep paralysis situations where he can see a shadowy figure out of the corner of his eye, and like as soon as his fear ramps up, the being rushes him, and then he blacks out. And he's had this experience for years. And then another guy was like, oh, hag attacks, yeah, I get that too. It's like, what? And then they start sharing stories, like two people who you know are remembering the same movie, and they're like, oh yeah, and then it happens like this, and then yeah, dude, yeah, dude, that happened. And it's like, what? Because these guys aren't making this up. And and they had no incentive to do so. They didn't even know each other, but they were happy to meet someone who knew those intricate details of this strange experience they both share. So it's all around us, even though it can be easy when you get away from these conspiracy and paranormal podcasts, it can be easy to, to get right back into normal waking life. And The machine is very persistent with its machinations and your day job sucks and you just don't have time to think about this shit if it's not like something that happens to you. So it can be really easy to let the dominant paradigm creep back into your life. Like I said, in in high school, I was a material atheist, even though I saw a cryptid in kindergarten. I just convinced myself that that wasn't enough to justify the worldview when everyone else is telling me something different. So... It's, it happens way more often than people realize, and it's a part of more people's lives in your inner circle. It's just never talked about because of the ridicule factor, and that's been something that has kept this in the dark for a long time, but I definitely think it's true, and I'm in a unique position where people open up to me, and I'm always just like, yeah, I'm not surprised, man. I've, I've heard stuff like that. Like, It's everywhere,
1: yeah, and how do we typically put those types of experiences into an understandable format? Well, we usually do it based on belief. So if you were a Christian, people would say that those were demons. You know, If you I, believed in aliens in, in, in some capacity, you might say that you were being visited or abducted. Or maybe if you were a Christian and saw something that wasn't so black and tentacly and slender and disturbing, you'd think that there were angels. I mean, I actually remember, Greg— uh, this is probably the most complete vivid memory I have when I was a child. I mean, I must have been, I'd have to ask my mom, but I think I was like maybe a year old. I was in a crib. And my mom's told me the story after the fact years later, but I remember her in my room and I remember she came in and I, I remember saying it to her. This is the only memory I have of like a total recall. And I said, mommy, you have an angel on your head. And I remember mm-hmm. she said, "What?" And I, I can, I can see it. It was like almost like a, an imp, you know, a little tiny creature like a fairy, but it was glowing in golden white light, and it had, you know, the kind of the traditional garb of what we consider an angel to be. So I've had experiences like that too, where things, man. But that was when I was a, you know, basically a baby, and I've had those experiences. And I guess I, I wasn't so. My personality was I'm not so easily you know, dismissive of those things. So I guess it kind of stuck with me. And then over the years, I just developed an interest in all kinds of things. I had a radio show, so I had to learn something to talk about and I just brought it all together. And, you know, that's kind of my background, how I got into everything from health to the paranormal. But those things stay with you and you realize that, you know, at the very least let's talk about them. And that's why we do the secret teachings on top of helping people and I imagine that's a contributing factor to why you do the higher side chats. Greg Carwood, on The Secret Teachings tonight.
3: Yes, absolutely, man. Sometimes I feel fated to be in this position. And whether it's necessarily accurate or not, I like to live my life as if, you know, if things are difficult and the road is rocky and I'm having a lot of roadblocks, then that's probably not on my path. And I try to pivot to something that's a little smoother and so I look at some of these things that happen in my life and there are other little weird things and they almost cover the full spectrum of what the show covers in terms of like citing a personal example. And I think, man, was it always, first off, you got to talk, you got to think about like time and the, the linear experience of time could be just a human illusion. Maybe all these experiences happen at once in some weird way, but I look back at life and it's like the universe put everything in front of me to give me an example to be like, okay, yeah, that's a thing. This is a thing, you know, that can happen. Maybe you shouldn't trust people in this situation and it just feels somewhat faded. You might, it seems like you feel similarly based on what you just said, but I feel like I am doing what Crowley might call my highest will. and. Uh, it's just been smooth since I started it, as opposed to trying to work in business management, which was always a struggle. In 2008, I, I got a pay reduction at Sunglass Hut when I already was making a terrible wage. But they're like 2008, we're tightening our belts, 5% pay cut. I was like, what? Everything was just so backwards going through that path, as opposed to just this, which is Felt like a lottery ticket, and I am living in a paradise up until the point that 2012 transformed everything. But it's, so you, it is
1: strange. You were working at a sunglass shop?
3: Uh, well, my path through corporate retail management was Great American Cookie. Then I worked at Sunglass Hut, which everybody knows is like the corporate store in the mall that sells overpriced Ray-Ban Oakley sunglasses. And then uh, from there, I went to GameStop, which is also a a job that, at least in San Diego, like all these regional managers, they drink the Kool-Aid like, oh, we work for such a great company. And I was like, guys, none of us own a house. And we're all like 30. Like if you are running a million dollar store for a company, they should provide you a wage where you can own a house and have a family in it. Like this isn't cool. They don't respect us. And um, sure enough, I basically, because I couldn't keep all those things to myself, it was to the point where I was almost going to get fired, but I was like, I can quit. I got a good thing on the side <laughs> and it's paying off. So I'll get out of your hair. I, I was <laughs> thinking,
1: I was thinking if you're working at the sunglass place, you could really, uh, amplify your story there and just say you found a pair of Roddy Piper glasses and you saw the world <laughs> in a different way.
3: You yes, know? that's true. You can maybe fold that in symbolically. Um, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. But, I don't I don't know what happened to me. I, I was just, vo- I volunteered to do something one time at a radio show and then the guy passed away and I took over the show and then I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to talk about for two hours. And so I just, I started reading and I came on the air, and I said, you know what? I learned this last night. I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> and then <laughs> I just learned a lot of stuff and I want to share it with people. I think at the core, tell me what you think about this at the core, at least of what I do on the secret teachings and what my personal, um, life is like which is basically it's 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 a real life version of the show i stand by everything i say i do everything i say uh i don't just walk um i don't just talk the talk i walk the walk but i feel that at the core of what i do and at the core of why a lot of people listen to shows like this and networks like this and your show because we all agree on one thing we want to learn And we want Mm -hmm. to have open discussion. And I think that is very human. It's very soulful, spiritual. It is the essence of what makes life life learning and growing. And that's a beautiful thing. I think
3: I totally agree. And 10 years ago, when we started our shows, the idea of hearing someone talk for two hours uninterrupted was very radical. There wasn't a lot of venues for that kind of thing. And when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do before the word podcast was really out there, I thought I was going to try to be a comedian because I got a lot of my insights from guys like George Carlin and Lenny Bruce and Bill Hicks. And these were kind of the, the sages that, you know, I would comb over every word they said. And I felt like they were the ones who were lighting me up with all these kind of alternative ideas. And, and you know, yeah, screw them system, screw the man, you know, and they're putting it in a context that, You know, made a lot of sense to me. And even with Bill Hicks, he once was just describing uh, a mushroom trip he did. And he said, I did what Terrence McKenna would call a heroic dose. And from there, I was like, well, who's Terrence McKenna? (laughs) And then I went down that whole thing. So like I comedians have said key things also. One time George Carlin was asked where he got his ideas and he said from a lot of it was from the writings of Robert Anton Wilson. So that was another connection. In both cases, it was a comedian who connected me to another source of information in the early internet that just really blew my mind. And I don't know how you feel about psychedelics in general. Obviously, they can be abused. There's a lot of strange encouragement. And also, I think the we were talking about esoteric stuff. The alien demon conversation is quite interesting. Like, what are these things? Can they be trusted? Are we opening ourselves up to to strange stuff when we take substances? But they've been kind to me. And I don't have as much experience as people might think. But the salvia thing broke a door off for me. And One time when I was trying to be a comedian here in San Diego, kind of, and interviewing these comics in the early days of the Higher Side Chats, I did mushrooms with a bunch of local comics. And the mushrooms basically like rubbed my face in the fact that I wasn't supposed to be there. I was kind of being a little bit of a poser because here's like Ari Shafir and Tony Hinchcliffe and these guys who are established comedians. And here's like me who's been on stage a time or two suckling at the success trying I'm like, Hey, will you come on my podcast? The mushrooms basically made me confront how lame that all was. And, uh, it gave me the overwhelming sense that I needed to pivot the show. And that's when I booked Michael to and found the rest of my life. And so I think these compounds can be pretty important and pretty useful. And I don't even know why, uh, I brought that up necessarily, except to say that, Comedy got me started in this thing, and then, through an experience with comedians and psychedelics it it course corrected me to get out of that stupid retail shit and into uh what I consider my dream job now.
1: Do you like uh Bill Burr
3: i do i do bill Burr is uh he drops some some stuff sometimes that is pretty deep you know he I've heard him uh, on like late night shows like on Conan O'Brien saying, I love the internet. One minute, I'm learning how to bake a cake. Then I watch a goat fight an eagle. Then I'm watching uh, (laughs) Hillary Clinton and some uh, looking at her kill list. And it's like, you know, he's dropping stuff like that on late night shows. No one else is doing that.
1: Yeah. He said something like, he's like, yeah, they go to those Bilderberg parties. And Conan's like, what? He's like, yeah, they go to the, they dress up like yaks and bang each other, you know? (laughs) Exactly.
3: I mean, no one's saying stuff like that. And these days, like we have other venues on the internet, but pre internet in the 90s when I grew up, you're only going to get this raw truth from comics, basically.
1: It's a it's a great medium. And, uh, I mean, you got into it through comedy. I got into it through film. I started it in film school, and radio was a sort of an extension from that. I just met someone in school who introduced me to somebody else. But regardless of how we got into it, we come to the same kinds of, uh, we meet at the same place. And we mm-hmm. uh, we find so many like-minded people who listen to our shows or who have at least heard of us who feel uh, very similar. I mean, that's why it's kind of cliche, but, you know, it is like a gigantic family uh, in terms of what we do in our respective radio podcast worlds. I-, I-, I just find that to be the most important thing, and that's what motivates me. I would like to do two things. I'd like to, first of all, quickly pause because we've— Gone through the third break, which is fine. But if you're just tuning in tonight, we're talking with Greg Carlwood, host and producer of the Higher Side Chats, thehiresidechats.com. That's the website. Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to support us, the network, the Fringe FM, thefringe.fm, and yourself, we've got t shirts. We've got books, my books, Occult Arcane of the Technological Elixir and Food Philosophy, and our subscription to the archive where you get a free book. It's $35. It's on the website, thesecretteachings.info. The last couple minutes here, I want to do a couple of additional things. I want to address that psychedelic question slash suggestion, and then I want to give you a few minutes of kind of an open floor At least I like when people give me that on a radio show. So psychedelics, my opinion, I'm personally not someone I don't think who would do it. However, I'm not opposed to it. My perception of it, Greg, is that I feel that a lot of people abuse both the substance and the idea of the substance. And a lot of people suggest to me, like, these are things that we need to do to obtain enlightenment or ascension or... But a lot of people that do psychedelics don't do them for those reasons. And I think people that suggest those types of things they have created their own little cult where they believe that, you know, doing a bunch of drugs is somehow going to, you know, put them on the next comet that comes by. And uh, when I go back and I read a lot of occult texts, when people went through processes of initiation, yeah, they had some psychedelic-like substance, but that substance, usually in a drink was administered by a a female, a high priestess, who if she got the concoction wrong, one time she was out. It's a very strict process, very secret process. And they would abstain from drugs. They would abstain from sex. They would abstain from meat. They would abstain from pretty much everything but water and an isolated location, usually a cave or somewhere dark where they could reflect on their thoughts for a number of days. And then they would be taken through this initiatory process that mimicked the revolution of the planets and the life cycle of the individual, of the human. They would be placed in a tomb for three days after consuming this psychedelic or hallucinogenic substance. It would put them into a slight state of coma. And then after three days, after they had supposedly communed with the other side, the priest would come in, stretch out his hand, pull up the initiate and say, Whatever the name was, Greg, you are risen. It's identical to what Jesus says to Lazarus in the Bible. That's where it comes from. And then the initiate would be exited through the temple in view of the rising sun, which then made them a son of God. So that's where the tradition comes from. And in that whole process, nobody did a bunch of drugs to become initiated. In fact, they abstained from the drugs. So. That was always my perspective on the subject. But otherwise, Greg, I don't care if people do psychedelics. I just don't like that it's kind of become a dogmatic, almost like a dogmatic religion where people kind of, it's like, well, if you don't do psychedelics, then, you know, you don't, you just don't get it. I don't like that attitude. And I don't think a lot of people that use them for that purpose agree with that either.
3: Right. I'm with you. And what you described is really Interesting. I believe uh, Freddie Silva wrote a book on that called The Resurrection Ritual, and I interviewed him on Easter a few years ago. Um, But there are other traditions, too, like uh, the ayahuasca tradition or the Hopi Indians have their traditions. Like Indigenous cultures have pretty much been doing psychedelics or explorations of the more than material world for as long as there's been people. So... I think it's something that really is in the DNA of humanity to push up against reality and see what's behind the curtain a little bit. And yes, in today's world, it's definitely off the rails. And I am reminded of, I believe it's a Timothy Leary line of once you've got the message, hang up the phone, which is like, I've only done Salvia maybe five times. The first time was so transformative. I had to do it a few other times to like really digest what happened. But then I stopped doing it because it was the the returns were diminishing slightly but I got what I needed and I'd say the same for a lot of, of the compounds that I've used is like once you received this overwhelming message like say from the mushrooms that I should change what I'm doing and here's how I should change it and then I change it that way and my whole life changes for the better I mean <laughs> I have to give it some credence yeah but that's fantastic I definitely think you can abuse those things but you can also abuse Tylenol you know you can abuse, uh, pretty much everything.
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, my personal pet peeve is that I just, I mean, I've been to a lot of conferences and uh, talked to a lot of people, and I, I don't know, Greg, I just, <laughs> I have a personal pet peeve against people who are like, dude, you got to do the psychedelic to understand what's going on. You know, I had these revelations, we're being lied to. It's like, man, I figured that out by reading books, I don't need to do a psychedelic, but I'm open to it if it was under the right conditions. Just mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't expect me to do it. <laughs> I agree, I agree. This, this, I don't know, last question, and I'll give you a moment to, to kind of express any final comments, but what do you think about, I'm going to think of how to word this appropriately, what do you think about the, the quote-unquote New Age conspiracy, conspiracy, Illuminati confirmed, uh, I don't know what to call it, ascension, except what do you think about all that? What What is that? I feel like a lot of that is just a con. A lot of that is a game of telephone. People have misunderstandings of what other people have said. And a lot of that's really taking the substance out of what so many of the people that you've interviewed and I've interviewed, you know, have documented in books and researched and people that are just big time, you know, heavyweights or people that aren't heavyweights, but they 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 have well-documented evidence of what they're suggesting, what they're writing about. I think a lot of that just takes away from the legitimacy of these very important topics to discuss? I mean, that's kind of a broad question, I understand. But I I think maybe you know where I'm coming from.
3: Yeah, well, the terms you use there to describe a certain shape of a certain segment within the world of conspiracy makes me think of a few things. I mean, QAnon would be one thing which I'm definitely not a fan of. And uh, I'm constantly battling uh, people who write me emails about the fact that I don't think the answer to systematic oppression for centuries is to finally we just need to trust the president. I mean, every solution ever is like, here's the savior for you. So I'm really not a big fan of the QAnon thing. Plus, I mean, Hillary Clinton's been under secret indictment for how many years now? Two or three years. She's been under secret house arrest, says QAnon. So I'm not a fan of that. It also makes me think of the Corey Good, David Wilcox stuff. Uh, which also is tied into QAnon because is, they yeah. have kind of attached themselves to the Great Awakening. And um, also, not a fan of that, although I do love the Hollow Earth theory. And Corey Goode should uh, stop blaspheming that <laughs> and wrapping it up with his chicken he, cult thing. He, sh-
1: he should also <laughs> stop trying to file lawsuits against anybody who asks him for proof because that's getting right. real old, too.
3: Yes. And it also makes me think of Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer, and the CE5 contact protocol. And I recently had Stephen Greer on my show, and
1: saw that I, yeah. was,
3: <laughs> I was a big fan of his work in the beginning. Maybe when I was in my early 20s and the Disclosure Project was coming out, I really loved it. And maybe it's just that we have a personality clash, but it's one of the most contentious interviews I've done in a long time. Like I have another one that's a, a legendary online fight, but that was in the early days. And so there's really only two guests in 10 years I've ever fought with, and. One of them was Stephen Greer recently, and I'm really as much as a fan as I am of psychedelics in a certain context. I am i don't consider myself new agey, and I, I definitely shy away from the people who have the shape of a Corey Good or a Stephen Greer, even though I'm very open to a lot of the stuff they might say, and I'm way more interested in finding the common ground than the places where we differ. But I do think some proof needs to be brought to the table with certain things. I'm not really a big fan of individual whistleblowers who just have this really wild, crazy story from their time working in black budget projects, going off planet and time traveling. I also got into it with Andy Basagio from Project Pegasus once. And that's funny because this was in the early days when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I went to go see Andy Basagio live and this had to be close to 10 years ago. I mean, Obama was president and, uh, that's the reason I bring that up is because he says he was in a time travel program with Barack Obama and they both went to Mars and they both went back to the past. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, I, like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do at the time. And I wrote a blog kind of in the style of gonzo journalism. I was a, uh, Hunter S Thompson fan when I was younger. So it was, and, a, and I liked comedy, so it was kind of a roast of the situation in which I was in. And uh, he got very angry at me. But what was funny about the, the time there is I, 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 well, I wanted, no, that's right. I had the idea to ask the question. Someone asked it right before me, so I didn't ask the question. But somebody stood up and was like, okay, well, if you and Barack Obama were in this program and you've seen the future in these time travel travel programs, tell us something about the future, like who will be the next president? And he said that he would be, in a certain timeline, he would be the next president. And he definitely didn't mention Donald Trump, which is uh, you know, <laughs> something that I think you would remember if you were in the future, because this isn't a president you would forget, like him or hate him. He's definitely a polarizing figure. So just more bullshit. You know, I don't like that. Sometimes it's fun to hear a crazy tale. And I would say I do it once in a while, a couple times a year, I dedicate airtime to yeah, let's just hear from this this Some, person and their crazy story. Donald Marshall is one. People still write me, and it was several years ago. They're like, holy shit, the Donald Marshall cloning centers episode was legit. And I'm like, well, it wasn't legit, but it was funny. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. And so I think we can have a little bit of fun once in a while, especially when we're in uh, a normal situation. Right now, I feel like it's all hands on deck a little bit, and people are, are really panicked and having tough times. Like my show has helped people connect to local organic meat farms that, you know, I've had interviewed a few guests about permaculture and about changing the factory farm system. And they happen to do like these meat share boxes. And at the time, some people might've gotten into it, but now I've gotten a lot of emails. Hey, who is that guy you interviewed who has a farm in Michigan and is selling meat? And it's like, yeah, because that's suddenly very important where you're getting your food from. And so the show has helped people in ways I didn't necessarily expect, but it's glad. I'm glad that it did. And you mentioned community earlier. I really do think that a uh, part of the reason why I started this show is because I felt like I didn't have a lot of people in my inner circle that agree with alternative perspectives. And now this, this community has sprung up, and it's been very useful. And we've shared things with each other, and uh, I think that it's helped lives. I'm sure you feel the same way. And I'm just really... I'm hoping that this is over soon, but in the back of my mind, I kind of know sadly or feel that this will be the new normal because this is a very low bar for these draconian systems that we've got on us right now. And I can't imagine that this won't happen again next year and the year after that. Like, why wouldn't this just be part of life now? We're still taking our shoes off at the damn airport. Like these things don't typically go away. And I'm so sick of seeing masks. It does psychologically affect me when I'm out and uh, I see masks. I do have some friends that are willing to break quarantine to hang out. And when we get together at one of our places, within 10 minutes, it's like nothing ever changed. And the outside world doesn't matter. I'm having a great time laughing, joking, endorphins are being released. And then I go out to like Target for milk and it's just like, whoa, uh, yeah, it's things like are you, pretty crazy out here. It's like you stepped
1: and, into a brave new world. Yeah, yeah, and I guess
3: I've been trying to somewhat ignore it um, as much as I can. I've always said that I have one foot in the system and one foot out because partly for convenience. Like, I've interviewed people probably like you have who are like, I'm not getting a driver's license. I'm not paying my taxes. (laughs) And it's like, okay, well, that's a very tough life you've just made for yourself. So I have one foot in, one foot out, but I do feel like the campaigns that are being implemented right now are are making it very hard to live like that. It's going to be... Full opt-in, it seems.
1: Uh, we have to be aware of this. It's not negative. If we're aware of it, it's not fear porn. It gives us the power with the awareness to have an understanding of what's going on so that we're able to fight it. And on the note of uh, those kinds of guests, I interviewed a guy named Eric Dollard one time. And I don't yeah. Know, I don't know what he was talking about, dude. He came on, he was he was saying something about how he moved out to the woods and there were devil trucks chasing him. Yes. And I was like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. You know, try to... <laughs> I, don't know. I
3: love Eric Dollar. He's yeah. kind of like a modern day Tesla, but he is one of these kind of scientists who just he's not a great conversationalist and he's yeah. kind of rude and I kind of like him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked our conversation tonight. We are out of time. The higher side chats dot com. The secret teachings dot info. So I pull up the music here. Higher side chats. That's that's the fireside chats of FDR. Is that where you got yeah. the name?
3: It is. Plus it's a stoner twist on that. And let me throw this out because it is a subscription based show. I mean, the first hour is free. The second hour is eight bucks a month. But uh, I've started to do this with my new system. I have a little more control over things. And I made a coupon code. If people put in Gable, all caps, your last name, they can get a free week, and they can get full access to the archive—the whole thing I've done. You can download MP3s to listen to offline. Hopefully, you'll stick around and uh, and you know tip me for the work like you tip a waitress back in the day when we went to restaurants. But um, yes, use the coupon code Gable and you can uh, get a free week of plus.
1: Excellent, G A B L E, like Clark Gable. Thank you so much, Greg. It's very generous, yes. very kind. Thank you. Hopefully, talk to you on another broadcast, Greg Carlwood. The Higher Side Chats. The Secret cheers. And cheers, Greg. Secretteachings.info is the website. You subscribe today. Get a free book with that subscription. Contact us at rdgable at yahoo.com. Remember, tomorrow night Endon shorn. Wednesday, David Icke, fingers crossed. Thursday might be a big surprise. Stay tuned to the Secret Teachings on the Fringe FM. Stay safe. Stay informed. And we'll talk to you on the next broadcast.